if you would open your Bibles, please, to the book of Proverbs, I want us to begin what will be a several-week study just through part of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is, without a doubt, the most practical book in all of the Bible. It tells us how to live our lives. Now, last week, I started thinking about some of the topics that the book of Proverbs addresses. And I just kind of made a list. I thought I might come up with 10 or 12 things. And I think I came up with about 25 or 30 things. And I want us to put them on the screen this morning just so you can have an idea of all the different, or at least maybe not all of them, but some of the key topics that are covered in the book of Proverbs. Just look at this. We have wisdom, faith, purity, friends, anger, words, gossip, kindness, laziness, pride, humility, money, a good name, temptation, a hot temper, alcohol. Proverbs has several parenting tips. We learn about righteousness, self-control, being thankful, honesty, integrity, being cautious, immoral men, godly men, immoral women, godly women, how to have a happy marriage. Those are just some of the topics that are covered in the book of Proverbs. And so for the next few weeks, we're not going to cover all of those topics, but I want us to maybe pull out some of the key ones and just think about what the Bible has to say in the book of Proverbs about these different things. Now today, we're going to begin by studying what would be considered the most important topic in the entire book of Proverbs, the, the main word, the key idea in the book of Proverbs, and that is wisdom. And so today, we're thinking about the importance of wisdom. But before we get into that, I want you to look in Proverbs chapter number one, and in verse number one, we see that Solomon, David's son, was the writer of the Proverbs. Chapter one, verse one, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And so not every single proverb in this book was written by uh, Solomon, but most of them were. He was the author of most of these proverbs, and the key idea, again, is wisdom. Notice verse number two, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise person will hear and increase learning, and a person of understanding will attain wise counsel. And so Proverbs is all about wisdom, and that's what Solomon had, and that's what God wants us to have in our lives is wisdom. Now, before we get into wisdom, I want us to think just for a moment about the word Proverbs itself. The, the English word Proverbs comes from two Latin words that uh, are pretty interesting. First of all, if we can see this, the first Latin word is the word pro. You can see it from the first of the word, and it simply means for. And the second Latin word is the word verba, and it means words. And so the word Proverbs literally means for or pro words. The idea here is that the book of Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, had a way of taking a very complex topic, 
a very broad topic and condensing it down to a very few words. I know you wish I had the ability to do that, right? To take something that's really big and condense it down and put it in just a few words. Well, that's what Proverbs does. There are a lot of comparisons in Proverbs, this and then that and then This is said, and then the opposite is stated. And so Proverbs takes all these topics that we just saw and more and condenses it down to a very small number of words. And so we read these verses. There are 915 verses in Proverbs, and most of them are just like that. Complex ideas reduced down to a small idea. Now, I want us to begin today by asking the question, what is wisdom? We talk about the importance of wisdom, but what does the Bible mean by wisdom? Well, we know this. Wisdom and knowledge are related, but they're not the same thing. Knowledge is aware of the facts. Wisdom knows what to do with the facts right? Knowledge says it's raining outside. Wisdom says we should take an umbrella with us to work. That's the difference in knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge knows the facts, but wisdom knows what to do with those facts. And so I want to give a definition of wisdom at the beginning of this message today. And I think this is pretty good. Wisdom is knowing what to do in a given situation and then doing it. That's what wisdom is. It's not, it's not just knowing all the facts or knowing all the answers or passing all the tests. Wisdom is knowing what to do, and then it is doing it. Or I could say it this way. Wisdom is knowing what to say in a given situation and then saying it. Sometimes wisdom is knowing what to say and knowing when to say it. Sometimes you can know what to say. You might be in a conversation with your family and a thought pops into your mind and the thought is true and it's right and there's nothing wrong with it, but if you say it now, the time is not right. And so wisdom knows what to do, it knows what to say, and it knows when to do it, and it knows when to say it. But wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Now, I wanted to read a little story here that I thought was pretty good that it contrasts knowledge and wisdom. And this is in one of my Adrian Rogers books. And so let me just, I wanted, I was going to kind of just tell this, but he has written it so well, I want to just read it to you. He said, once there was a wealthy gold miner who had an intelligent son destined to take over the business and inherit his father's fortune. The father sent his son back east to study in the finest engineering school and to learn all he could about managing the mines. The young man studied hard and proudly received his degree. Returning to the mines, he reported to his father and said, Dad, I'm ready to go to work. Give me your best mine and I'll show you how to run it. The father replied, no, son, first you must change into your work clothes and go down into the mine. There you will gain experience. You may start at the bottom and work your way up. But the son insisted, look, father, I've been to school. I have received my diploma. With all due respect, I know more about mines than you'll ever know. And if you'll just give me your best mine, I'll prove it to you. And so the father, against his better judgment, gave his son the most productive mine. For a while, it did well. Then one day, the father received a letter and here's, or received an email, and here's what it said. Dad, you know the mine I'm working in is backed up to a lake. Well, the water is beginning to seep in. We've shored it up, but the shoring does not seem to hold. What do you think we ought to do? The father did not answer. 
A little later, the son emailed him back. Look, Dad, this is serious. We're not able to stop the water. What do you think we ought to do? Still, no answer from his father. Finally, the son emailed his dad in all bold letters. If you do not give me an answer soon, we're going to lose the entire mine. What should I do? The father emailed back, shove your diploma in that hole. (laughs) And so... The dad was saying, look, you've got your diploma. You know everything. You figure it out, you know. But what he was saying was, you have the knowledge, but you don't have the wisdom. And that's why I wanted you to start out at the bottom and work your way to the top. But you insisted on starting at the top, and now you don't have any idea what to do. So what is wisdom? It is knowing what to do in a given situation, not just knowing how to pass a test, not just knowing the facts, it is knowing what to do with those facts, and then it is doing it. That is wisdom. Now, the question is, how do we get wisdom? We all want wisdom. God wants us to have wisdom. When Solomon wrote this, he wanted us to have wisdom. The question is, how do we get wisdom? And the answer is this, we receive it. We receive it. Knowledge is learned, but wisdom is is received. It is something that God gives us. Now, look in in chapter number two in Proverbs and look down in verse number six. Chapter two and verse six, and it says this, for the Lord gives wisdom. Say that with me. For the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord gives it. So how do we get wisdom? We receive it. We don't find it in a book. We can't learn wisdom. We receive wisdom from the Lord. God has all wisdom, We want wisdom. To get wisdom, we have to receive it from God. But notice this. We receive wisdom as we pursue it and as we pursue God. Now, turn to chapter number 8 and look down to verse 17. This is one of my favorite verses in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse number 17. Now, this is wisdom speaking. This is not God speaking. Wisdom here is being personified. In fact, if you look back in verse 12... The Bible says, I, wisdom, so wisdom now is talking, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil and so on. So wisdom is talking. Verse 17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. And so wisdom is saying, if you seek after me, you will find me. So how do we get wisdom? We receive it. We don't learn it. In a book, we receive it from God, but we receive it as we pursue God and as we pursue wisdom. And so what I want to attempt to do today is to develop this idea on how we can have wisdom. And you talk about a practical message, a practical topic. Every one of us today needs wisdom in our lives as we make decisions in our families, at work, in our finances, in our health. We all need wisdom. God, what would you have me to do in this situation? And so how do we go about seeking that wisdom and how can we receive it? So I want to give you some things to jot down today, and I think it will answer that question. The first way that we receive wisdom is to fear the Lord. 
Now, this whole idea of fearing the Lord is a big idea in the book of Proverbs. In fact, a dozen or more times in the book, we read this expression, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. In fact, if you'll go back in, or go to chapter number nine, this is one of my favorite verses in Proverbs, and look down in verse number 10. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. But just the first part, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so the first step to receiving wisdom so that as you go through life, see, Proverbs is telling us how to live our lives, how to make good decisions, and we need wisdom. But the first step to receiving that wisdom is to fear the Lord. Now, the question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Does it mean that we are scared of God? Does it mean that we, you know, if, if we feel like if we sin or, or mess up in some way that God's just watching and he's going to pop us on the head, or he's going to zap us, he's going to end our life? Is that what it means to fear the Lord? Well, to fear the Lord, I've really thought about that. And from a biblical perspective, I think I can say three things that will help flesh out the idea of fearing the Lord. First of all, to fear the Lord means to trust the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 1 and in verse number 7 in the Living Bible, here's what it says. How Can a man become wise or how can a woman become wise? Now, listen to this. The first step is to trust and reverence the Lord. And so the first step to fearing the Lord, and remember, fearing the Lord is the first step to receiving wisdom. It begins by trusting the Lord. In other words, a person who doesn't trust God They trust themselves or they don't even believe there is a God. But a person who doesn't trust God, they're not fearing the Lord. But to fear the Lord is to trust the Lord. And so let me ask you today, are you trusting the Lord? You know, when we think about faith and we think about trusting God, we have to make sure that our faith, everybody has faith. As Christians, we have faith in Jesus. An atheist has faith. They just have faith that there is no God. But it takes faith to be an atheist. In fact, I think it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. Those of us who believe the Bible, we believe, first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We just believe that. The atheist says, no, I don't believe that. So you ask the atheist, well, how do you believe the world got here? And they say, well, a long time ago there was nothing, and then there was an explosion, and all of a sudden there's everything. And so an atheist believes that nobody took nothing and made everything. Now, to me, that takes more faith than it does to believe that God took nothing and made everything. And so, but what I'm saying is the believer and the atheist both have faith. But for those of us who are saved, our faith is in the Lord. We are trusting in Him. How does a man, how does a woman have wisdom? The first step is to trust the Lord, to have our faith in the person of Jesus Christ and to have our faith in his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. If you died today and stood before God and God said to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to God in answer to that question? Well, if I should die today and stand before God and God said, John, why should I let you into heaven? I would say, God, you and I both know that I've sinned many times. And God, 
I can't, can't get around that. I can't deny that. I have sinned. But I have asked Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins. I have asked Jesus to apply the blood that he shed on that cross to my sins, and I am trusting in Jesus Christ to forgive my sins and to save me. And that to which God would reply, open wide the gates and let him in, because my faith is in Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we trusting in Jesus or are we trusting in Jesus? Listen, your life and my life, are like, our lives are like houses, and a house has to be built on a foundation. And the Bible says that the, the only foundation that a life should be built on is the person of Jesus Christ. And so we have to build our lives on Jesus, on the foundation of Jesus Christ, not on ourselves, not on our understanding, not on our experiences. We have to build our life and our faith on the person of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? First of all, it means that we trust the Lord. Second of all, it means that we respect the Lord. We revere the Lord. We honor the Lord. Again, in the Living Bible, chapter 1, verse 7, how does a person get wisdom? The first step is to trust and reverence the Lord. Do you respect God? I know you do because you're in church today. But the idea of fearing God, it, it, it includes this, that we reverence and that we respect God. Now, I'll give you an example of this. Again, does that mean that we're scared of God? No. Perfect love casts out fear. We shouldn't be scared of God. But we should have a holy awe of God and a respect from God. A few weeks ago when the uh, hurricane blew through our area, well, it was not a strong hurricane. It was a weak Category 1 hurricane. Now, I don't know what you were doing on that night, but me, I think if I could have gone to bed about an hour earlier, I might could have slept through all of it. But I went to bed after the rain started coming, and it was blowing sideways in the wind. And so when I got in bed, I had a hard time going to sleep because the rain was beating up against my window. Here's the question. Was I scared of the storm? No, I wasn't scared of the storm. But as I was lying in bed that night, unable to go to sleep, I'll tell you what I did not do. I didn't say, you know, I can't go to sleep tonight. I think what I'll do is drive up to IHOP and have some pancakes and hot chocolate, and that'll help me to go to sleep. No, I didn't do that because even though I wasn't afraid of the storm, I respected the storm. And I said, I'm going to, since we're in a hurricane, even though it's not a major, super major, I'm not going to go out and tempt the storm. In other words, I'm going to let that hurricane that's out there affect what I do. To reverence the Lord is that. It is, it is not to be scared of God. I was perfectly peaceful that night. I wasn't worried about the storm, but I wasn't going to go driving to the restaurant in the middle of it. Reverencing and respecting God is the same way. It is to say, I'm not scared of God. He has forgiven my sins. He is my heavenly Father, but I'm going to live my life fully mindful that God is out there and that God is watching, and I'm going to allow His presence in the world and in my life to alter and affect how I live. And so that's all part of fearing the Lord. It is that we trust Him, and it is also that we respect Him and that we revere Him. And I'll tell you what else it means to fear the Lord. It means that we desire His opinion on a situation. 
if you're thinking about doing something, going somewhere, making a purchase, making a major life change, wisdom says, I want to get God's opinion on this situation. That In R.T. Kendall's book, On Wisdom, that's one of his definitions for what wisdom is. It is getting God's opinion. And he says in his book, rightly, God has an opinion on everything. And so we want to get his opinion and try to figure out what God's opinion is. And so the first step to wisdom is to fear the Lord. The second step for, to get wisdom is to ask for it. In other words, if wisdom is something that we receive, not that we learn, but that we receive, how do we receive anything in the Christian life? We ask. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, ask and you shall receive. James chapter 1 and verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And so how do we get wisdom? We go to God and we ask him to give us wisdom. Now, turn back, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter number 3. 1 Kings chapter number 3. And uh, Solomon, again, is who wrote Proverbs. But here we find Solomon asking God to give him wisdom. As soon as he became the king of Israel, God appeared to him one night. And we read in 1 Kings chapter 3, let me let you find it, down in verse number 5, that when God appeared to Solomon, he asked him, Solomon, what would you like for me to give you? Interesting question. If God came to you today and said, what would you like me to give you? You can have anything you want to have. What would you like for it to be? Well, and look in verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask. What shall I give you? Verse 9, Solomon now answers this question. He says, Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked, long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be anyone like you after you. And I also have given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. And so when Solomon asked for wisdom, God was so pleased with what he had asked for that not only did he give him wisdom, he gave him things he did not even ask for. And so wisdom, those of us who are saved, the most important thing that we could ask God for in our lives, God, give me wisdom. God, I'm trying to make a decision. I don't know what to do. Should I live here, work there, do this, not do that? God, I need you to give me wisdom. And he gives us wisdom as we ask for it. Now, in Solomon's case, God answered that prayer just like that. <laughs> Solomon said, God, I need wisdom. Boom, there was wisdom. But that doesn't always work that way. Sometimes we ask God for wisdom, and most of the time, in my life anyway, and I'm sure this is true for you, we ask God for wisdom, and time, it takes time. There's a process of time that goes by before God gives us the wisdom that we've asked for. And so we have to wait. I would encourage you today, if you're praying for wisdom about something, you're trying to know what to do, and you don't feel like God's told you anything, this is what God would say to us in that situation. 
until you get your answer, just keep doing what you're doing. As long as you're not doing something that's immoral, just keep doing what you're doing until God shows you to do something differently. And as you ask for wisdom, remember this, believe that God will give you the wisdom that you ask for. James, when he said in chapter one, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he'll give it to you. But in the very next verse, he says, but let him ask in faith, believing. For he who doubts is, uh, is unstable in all of his ways, like a wave of the sea. And so when you ask God for wisdom, ask in faith and believe that God will give you the wisdom that you have asked for. And so we want to ask and we want to wait and we want to believe that God will give us wisdom. Now, how do we have wisdom? We fear the Lord. We trust him. We reverence him. We desire his opinion. Next step, we ask, God, I need wisdom. Please give me wisdom. We believe he'll do it. We wait on him to do it. And then the next thing is we act on the wisdom that God gives us. Remember this about wisdom. Wisdom is like a muscle. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. And so wisdom is like that. Wisdom, it's not just knowing what to do. Remember our definition of wisdom? It is knowing what to do in a given situation and then doing it. It is possible to know what to do and then not do it for whatever reason that you might have. Now, you are in 1 Kings. Keep, put your, keep your bulletin in 1 Kings and go back to Proverbs. And I want to show you something. We're going to come back to 1 Kings. But go to the very end of Proverbs, chapter number 31. Because I want to show you how Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, other than Jesus himself, how he had wisdom, and yet he didn't use the wisdom that he had. He didn't act on it. He went against his own better judgment. In Proverbs chapter 31, and in verse number 1, it says, the words of King Lemuel. Now, who is Lemuel? Well, we don't know for sure, but Jewish tradition says Lemuel is another name for Solomon. And so it's kind of a, a, a name of affection that his mother had given to him. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. Now, who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the one who had had an affair with David. So Solomon was born out of a relationship that didn't have the best beginning. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and uh, certainly vice versa there. But he's been forgiven She's been forgiven. They've moved on in life, and God is blessing David and Bathsheba so much so that he's blessed them with Solomon, who became the king. But as Solomon got older, Bathsheba called him aside, and she began to give him some advice about life, especially since she knew one day he would be the king. Look at verse 2, what Bathsheba said to Solomon. What, my son, and what son of my womb, and what son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Bathsheba saying, Solomon, take it from me. Take it from your father. When it comes to the area of morality, you better be very careful. And don't spend all of your strength and all of your time and all of your thinking on women. God has a girl out there for you one day, but just get with her and stay with her. Verse 4, it is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. Bathsheba saying, Solomon, you're going to be a king, and as a king, you need a clear mind, and so stay away from alcohol. Now, go back to 1 Kings, 
And you were in 1 Kings chapter uh, 3. Now go to 1 Kings chapter number 11. Now Solomon had, his mother had given him wisdom, right? He knew what to do and what not to do. But just to show you that wisdom is not just something we ask for and receive and even have. Wisdom is something we do. It is something we use. It is something that we act on. 1 Kings 11, verse 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women. Now you think, well, now where did this come from? As well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Now he's married a girl from Egypt, and they worshiped other gods. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives. Now what in the world is happening to Solomon here? And 300 concubines. You know, I've read about concubines all my I never even knew what a concubine was. Yesterday I thought, what is this? What are 300, what's the difference in a concubine and a wife? Well, uh, when it says he had 700 wives, he was the king, right? And so these were considered royal wives. These were wives of the king. These concubines were a lower level of wives. So really, he had a 1,000 wives. Now, 700 of them were royal wives, but do you think those girls felt special? I mean, do you think they could have said to one of the concubines, well, you're a concubine, but I'm one of the royal wives, and I'm one of his 700 royal wives. You think that made them feel special? Well, no, but he's got all these women. And in verse number four, for so it was... When Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord as did his father David. Now, Solomon the wisest man who ever lived. His mother had told him, be careful with these women and don't be drinking alcohol. Now, we could read on about how alcohol became an important part of Solomon. Solomon knew it so well that he wrote it in Proverbs. He said, here's what my mother taught me. And yet, evidently, Solomon wrote Proverbs, and I think it's safe to say, at a much earlier stage in his life because when he got old, his heart was turned away from God. You wouldn't find somebody in a backslidden condition writing a book on how to have wisdom. So he had written Proverbs as a younger man. He had wisdom, and yet he didn't use it. He didn't do what he knew that he should do. And so wisdom is not just knowing what to do. It's doing it. It's doing what you know to do. Now, as we think about the importance of wisdom, I was thinking about this. If, if God came to you today and God said to you what he said to Solomon, you can ask me for anything you want in life, money, fame, a better job, a bigger house, a bigger family, longer life, whatever you want, the judgment on your enemies, vindication, the clearing of your name, you can ask for anything you want to ask for. What do you want? 
What would you ask God for? Well, as I said a moment ago, those of us who are saved, the wisest thing that we could ask God for every day of our lives is wisdom. If you believe that, say amen. It's true. So what I'm saying is all of us today who are saved, our greatest need is wisdom. But those of you here today or those who are listening at home today who say, John, I'm not sure that I am saved. I'm not sure that my trust is in Jesus. If my life's a building, he's not my foundation, you might would say. You might would say, I'm building my life. I'm constructing my faith on myself, on my own goodness, on my own experience, on my own understanding, on my own connections. Who I, I'm trying to build my life up with who I know and what string I can pull, but I'm not really building my life on the person of Jesus Christ. Friend, Jesus said a storm will come into your life one day and you have built your life on the sand and your house is gonna come tumbling down. But if you'll build your life on the, found, on the rock, on Jesus, storm gonna come into your life too. Storms come into all of our lives, but if we're built on Jesus... We will withstand the storm. And so it says to me, those of us who are saved, every day we should ask for wisdom. God, show me what to do. But those who are unsaved today, you don't need to ask for wisdom. You need wisdom, but that's not the most important thing you need. You know what you need to ask God for today? You need to ask God for mercy and for forgiveness and for salvation. Let us therefore come boldly, Hebrews says in chapter 4, to the throne of grace that we might find mercy and obtain grace to help in time of need. Friend, if you have never been saved, yes, you need enough wisdom to get saved, but even greater than wisdom, you need the mercy and the forgiveness and the grace and the salvation of God in your life.